0: this is linux in laws a podcast on topics around free and open source software any associated contraband communism, the revolution in general, and whatever else fancies your tickle. Please note that this and other episodes may contain strong language, offensive humor, and other certainly not politically correct language. You have been warned. Our parents insisted on this disclaimer. Happy mum! Thus, the content is not suitable for consumption in the workplace, especially when played back on a speaker in an open plan office or similar environments, any minors under the age of 35, or any pets including fluffy little killer bunnies, your trusted guide dog, unless on speed, and cute T-Rexes or other associated dinosaurs. Welcome to Linux on Mars, a Season 1 episode, what is it, Martin? 265,407,
1: right? Oh, I think we're in the millions now, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent.
0: <laughs> Martin, how are things over there in the melting kingdom?
1: Uh, slightly melted, but yeah, still Still floating. <laughs>
0: Uh, I reckon the, the summer has commenced early in the UK, as it's the 3rd of August rather than the of August. No, no, no. The, the
1: summer is actually still going. It's amazing. It, it, does, that, it normally is finished by by June time, but uh, yeah, we have actually some warm weather in August. It's the first, for
0: sure. Gre- Greta Thunberg, if you're listening, uh, yes. in case you are, full marks, especially for, especially for the UK. Well done. Global warming all the way. Hmm.
1: Yeah, what well, about yourself, anyway, Chris? How are things in?
0: It's uh, in Frankfurt. Slightly cooler. It checks in about at about uh, thirty-five degrees today, as a centigrade, not 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 Fahrenheit. So mm. that makes a a cooling refresh from, from the smelting forty that we had a couple of days ago. Oh, nice. Yes.
1: Okay, I think I think probably Ran can top all these these temperatures, right? <laughs> <laughs> what have you got? <laughs> yeah. and, I-
0: and exactly. Yeah. So without further ado, we should probably introduce our guest for tonight. Indeed. Martin, why don't why don't you do the honors?
1: Sure, sure. So yeah, very pleased to say that we have uh, Ran Levy on the podcast tonight. Uh, obviously, a great podcaster himself, with very famous um, guests on his podcast. Some very interesting for, for for myself, and I think for yourself. Well, Chris, right? You you actually introduced me to um, malicious life, so.
2: Yeah, yourself. great podcast,
1: <laughs> great show, um, anybody who hasn't listened to it, go and listen to it because it's brilliant, um, yeah, if you're interested in cybersecurity and then on top of that, uh, Rand did a lot of podcasting for Curious Minds and is a distinguished engineer in electronics, if I'm not mistaken, but by all means. Uh, Rand, why don't you say a few words about yourself, if you if that's okay? Hello,
2: hello, hi, <laughs> thank you for having me on the show. <laughs> No, no, it's, it's our pleasure. pleasure. Uh, uh, and yes, I do relate to the hot temperatures and we've got also humidity. So <laughs> we've got double trouble, as they say. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I'm an, I've i been a podcaster since uh, 2007, which makes me rather old in, in podcasting terms. I started podcasting in Israel. Um, I created a show in Hebrew called Making History. And um uh, luckily, it took off. About, it's about uh, history of science and technology. And it took off. And for a long time, I was Israel's most successful and <laughs> only podcaster. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, no, really. I mean, I, I had a great run for like 10 years. I, I was very well known in Israel. I'm still very well known in Israel in podcasting, except now there are lots more podcasts so I'm not the the top podcaster anymore but that's a good thing I mean it's not fun being a big fish in an empty pool so it's better to be <laughs> with bit a bit
1: of competition right <laughs> exactly <laughs> competition okay, is nice. great
2: so yeah. about far and I and and as Martin I think said um I was also an electronics engineer and software developer for like 20 years and uh, due to the podcast's uh, success I uh left my day job um created a company, a PI media podcast production company. Uh, And and we've got something like 40 to 50 podcasts. And um, most of them in Hebrew, some of them in English. And uh, as you mentioned, there's malicious life. It's our most successful English podcast uh, about the history of cybersecurity. It's a narrative uh, podcast. And I think that it um it was i think it was number number 10 on itunes um technology charts that's the top spot that we got some i think a few months back so uh, it, uh it's a great show and i love it very much well deserved um, amada yes yeah. yeah did did you just uh, say so you
1: had 40 to 50 podcasts with your company
2: yes we've got something like that i mean it's it's a it's a big team of course we've got 10 full-time employees in the company and and some more like 50, uh, uh, you know, part-time and uh, like temporary workers, uh, freelance uh, uh, podcasters. And we're doing lots of stuff. (laughs) I'm now the executive director, the executive editor, and, and also the host of several podcasts.
1: Wow, that sounds like a very busy job indeed. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, but it's fun. G- given how much we uh, effort we spend on our podcast, yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, but it's but as you say, it's fun. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Chris.
0: No worries, no worries, no worries. Just you, just go ahead, Martin.
1: Alrighty. Um, yeah. So,
0: uh,
1: I mean, uh, uh, before we get into the kind of uh, all, all the nitty gritty about technology <laughs> stuff, um, I think you didn't mention. Um, why you started the podcasting piece being being um, a software engineer kind of a, <laughs> like one day oh let's do a podcast right now. it's yeah.
2: no actually or, or, yeah. um i got my start i mean i first learned about podcasts i think it was back in 2005. uh and back then i was big into digital photography uh digital digital camera, cameras mm-hmm. which just becoming a thing and i bought my first digital digital camera and I was looking for, you know, uh, to learn the basics of photography. And there was a German podcast called Tips from the Top Floor. I don't know if it even exists today, but it was very popular back in 2005. I mean, we're talking about basically a year or two after podcasts were invented, basically. So it was very big. And a, uh, I a learned German, a lot.
0: A, yeah. a German podcast in German? Sorry. No, it was Wait, in no. English. Ah, it was okay, fair
2: enough. Yeah, um, but it was it was a German guy, uh, Chris Mark, I think was his name, and he did a fantastic job. And I said to myself, I mean, this guy is a photographer, right? I mean, he's not um, a professional radio personality or whatever, uh, but he but he is doing a great job teaching us about photography, and he does it from his studio. I mean, he's, he doesn't have like a proper professional. uh, Studio, so I said to myself, you know, why not? Why why not me? What mean? What what's the difference? Um, So uh, I started, like you know, I bought this basic microphone, just trying to see how things work. I've never been to a a radio station before, so I don't, I I had no idea what to do, but I learned how to edit, you know, basic editing and stuff. It was pretty easy to learn because I'm, you know, I'm basically proficient with computers. Mm. Uh, Plus, I was already an established author back then. I wrote books about science and technology, so I had content and I knew how to write. So after about a year of, you know, trying, you know, all sorts of stuff, I created my first real podcast. And um, my expectation was that it will be, nobody will listen to it because (laughs) nobody in Israel even knew what podcasting is. And I remind you, this is 2006, 2007. We didn't even have smartphones then. I mean, I think the iPhone came about in like 2007. So listening to podcasts back then was very difficult. You had to download the episode and transfer it to, what was it, uh, You know, these the small MP3 players that we had back then. And it was very difficult to listen to podcasts. So I was <laughs> fully prepared to have no listeners. But I said to myself, well, it's a fun trial. But, I mean, within two months... People started sending emails. this is a great show. we love it. Although when I listen to this, these early episodes I don't understand why you see a bit
1: of right. progression
2: from from your current work. There. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's horrible to listen to your first episode. I mean it's so bad but people really they had no alternative nobody in Israel was doing anything like that. Uh, so it was very novel, very new and it took off. And within like two years, I had a few thousand listeners. Um, I think that in four years, I passed my first million uh, total wow. downloads. Uh, and then, you know, things just took off. I mean, it's one of these stories where <laughs> you don't really know what's happening. People are listening. People are you know, telling their friends about the show, but you have no control and, and, and it became very difficult to be an engineer, you know, by day and a podcaster mm-hmm. or by night. I don't understand those kind of, you know, Batman movies where the hero, is, he has time to be <laughs> a millionaire <laughs> by day and Batman. Where does he sleep? I didn't sleep.
1: <laughs> Probably from the ceiling, isn't it? <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> the exact same problem that Martin and myself are facing too. Never mind the fact that Martin keeps following <laughs> marketing all over the place. But that's a separate topic. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah but it's it's been amazing amazing adventure i mean i never expected to to do anything that significant in my life and it's an amazing adventure i mean um, i fully expected to be you know uh, an engineer working at you know 8 to, uh, eight to 9 uh, sorry mm-hmm. 9 to 5 so like it was a big uh, surprise for me
1: <laughs> okay so, 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 uh, just, uh, so I take it you also don't have any uh plans to take up something else like i don't know youtubing or any sort of television based uh, <laughs> uh, that kind of scenario you, you, no, uh, actually, you found I, your I mean, thing with podcasting right it's, it's... Uh,
2: i mean podcasting is is what I do now, but um I don't consider myself to be a podcaster necessarily i mean i Basically an author. I write. I, that's yeah. what I did ever since I was a young kid. And uh, podcasting is, is great for writers because it allows me to, to, um, you know, bring my, my writing to life in, in an audio setting, mm-hmm. which is much richer than text. I like audio, but if the opportunity presents itself, I would love to do video as well. Um, you know, if 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 if, we, if I have the opportunity to do something really significant in video, I'll be happy to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no,
1: that's that's sorry, Chris. Go on. Uh,
0: no, sorry. Um, <clears throat> uh, very uh, interesting insight, Brian. Mm. Um, just curious. We t- you already mentioned curious minds. Um, maybe we can talk about a little bit about the origins of this podcast and how you came about. Open source in general and curious minds in particular, especially with regards to some of the focal areas of this podcast.
2: Yeah, so um, the 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 open source aspect comes from the fact that I'm, I'm a big open source fan, have been for a long time. Uh, I mean, as a as a developer, I didn't have many opportunities to contribute to open source myself because most of what i was doing uh when i was a full-time engineer was uh more uh security stuff which is which tends not to be available online most of the time um but i've always I mean i've been using linux for for years and Using soft open source software whenever I can. Even my my company uh, uses uh, solely Linux. We don't use Windows computers. So I'm a big open source fan.
1: Did, and, did you get rid of the uh, the JavaScript in the end? Uh,
2: no. <laughs> yeah, that's that's funny. That's funny because, <laughs> as I said, uh, my first podcast was um, making history about the history of technology. And at one point, I, I I read an article about the history of open source, and I became very interested in how it came to be. And I said to myself, hmm, it could be, it should be very interesting to talk to uh, Richard Stallman, who who is like the pioneer of free software, because I mean, I I've, I was a big fan of Richard Stallman ever since I've heard about the man. He's, uh, you know, he's the prototypical, the archetypical a uh, hacker if if you like i mean he's got he's the early early pioneer with the long gray hair and the beard and and somebody who somebody as a kid used to to write software but he didn't have computers so he wrote it on paper i mean that that guy was really hardcore engineering and he was one of my heroes so i said to myself you know what maybe that's a good opportunity to have him as a guest and i did i i did an episode uh in in the Hebrew podcast and it It was uh, very well received. People liked it. And I think like seven years ago, uh, when I quit my day job as an engineer and started my own company, the basic idea of starting the company was to expand making history to international audiences in English. Uh, because the topics I usually write about, science and technology, are universal in nature. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they, they'll work in, every, in any culture in almost any time. So uh, I had the notion that it could work. And, and I started Curious Minds, uh, and did it for like three years, and it, it was successful. I mean, at, at, at the, the peak, we had something like 6,000, 7,000 listeners per episode which which is nice for for like a podcast who is created by an israeli non non english speaker not non native english yeah, speaker yeah. but but really to, for a company in the business sense that's not enough not nearly enough even so after 3 or 4 years i understood that my problem is not content but marketing because in in english there's lots and lots of content uh available from you know in the u.s itself there's like two million podcasts in itunes directory so i mean you've got great competition (laughs) so you need to really be good in marketing and and have connections and net and the networking aspect so i said to myself you know what i'll put the, the show on, on pause and I'll do something else. And and, and that's when Malicious Life uh, came about because we had um, Cyber Reason as the sponsor of the show, which allowed us to to do good marketing at the beginning of the show and allowed it to grow. But when Curious Minds was, Minds was active, I just took the Hebrew podcast, that I, the Hebrew episode that I did with Richard Stallman and, uh, Tim O'Reilly also appeared in that podcast yep. and, uh, and converted it to English almost as is. I mean, it's just the content works in any language basically. And, um, it was a great experience to talk to the guy. I mean, in a sense, it was a disappointment, um, because he was, as I said, my hero i saw him as somebody who is never meet your
1: heroes yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah, exactly yeah,
2: okay. i mean i thought of him as somebody who is like he breathes and 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 you know he's he's neck deep in technology 24 7 like my like myself basically but while i was speaking to him i learned that because of some reason that maybe we'll get we will get to later he almost doesn't use technology nowadays I mean, as an example, when I was uh, uh, communicating with him over email, trying to set up the interview, he he was very determined that we shouldn't use JavaScript on the website where the episode will be posted, and and the episode shouldn't be um, uh, shouldn't be on an MP3 file, but on an OGG file, which is uh, an open source format. And I I said to him, uh, Richard, sorry, but if I remove JavaScript (laughs) from the website, (laughs) website it won't work. (laughs) And and nobody knows how to play OGG files. I mean, everybody uses MP3. So he kind of, you know, he relented a bit. I mean, he he allowed me to use JavaScript because he doesn't like new technology because it's mostly proprietary. Uh, He doesn't like proprietary software. And, then, and MP3 was proprietary also. So he doesn't Ren, use modern technology. He 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 doesn't have an, a phone. He doesn't use the basic stuff that most people use every day.
0: Which I'm was, sorry, Ren, it, just uh, okay. uh, sort of interrupting here. But that's exactly my experience. If, a few years back, I tried to get an interview out of him for a German open source magazine, online magazine, I might add. And mm-hmm. we discussed the interview for almost half a year on via email and he went as far as saying sorry jpeg for the for the website where this e-magazine would appear is non option you have to use png and that sort of shenanigans ran given the recent history of somebody called richard m storm and care to shed more light on on your on on your on your on your view here. Uh, full disclosure: We had the chairman of the. I I'm doing Justice here. We had the chairman of the Free Software Foundation Europe on the show about what Martin about a year ago, maybe one yeah, year ago. Yeah. And the FSFE tried and succeeded, also I might add, to distance itself somewhat from the FSF. In the light of the fallout of this board shenanigans slash, slash story, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. needless to say, the FSFE wasn't too happy with RMS rejoining the board. And I'm just wondering if you have any comments on this. Needless to say, you can keep it kind of PC if you want to, but bear in mind, <laughs> this podcast is explicit. So by all means, max yourself out. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I mean, I don't. I really don't know anything about the accusations that were levied against him as part of the of the Me Too movement. I mean, that's the basic the basic thing. But I suspect that the real underlying reason that the FSF is, is trying to distance himself from 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 Martin, uh sorry, from um, um, uh, Richard Stallman, is because. As you said, I mean he is a difficult man. He he is an idealist in the the, the purest uh, uh way the purest term. Uh he doesn't give up even an inch on, on his ideals and he's very difficult to work with. But you know, after talking to him and s and, and, and actually reading about his views and about what what he says. I think that there's lots of truth in in what he's saying, and maybe you know he's one of these guys who is willing to suffer for for what he believes, even if everybody else kind of ridicules him and try to distance themselves from him. It's not an easy it's not an easy thing to be, you know, the the lonely voice inside of an organization, uh, uh, trying to 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 get everybody to do. Th- you know, quote-unquote, the right thing. And, and and we should say that the right thing uh, for, for, Richard, for Richard Stallman is to only use free software, not open source software. He doesn't believe in open source. He doesn't like open source. He specifically asked me never to say that he is the father of the open source movement, although he is. In a sense, he doesn't like it. He really thinks, yeah, I mean, he really thinks that software should be free, free in in, in the very, very, not in the, you know, the monetary sense, not free of charge, but free as in freedom, In, in the freedom to change whatever you like, to copy the software, to modify it, whatever you like, and Every other form of software is, is is considered by him to be really even evil. I mean, he sees the world in, in black and white, and that's, yeah,
0: that's exactly it.
2: Yeah, exactly. And you know what? He, I mean, in, in I can I can talk about I mean places where you can see that he's basically right. I mean, he always says that. I mean, why doesn't why doesn't he like open source software, because he says that open source, because it, it allows companies to to um, use open source and they don't have to make it completely free, You don't, they don't have to make it modifiable and change their subtle, subtle um, differences in terms of the legal terms here. But because they are not committed to software being free, then the problem is that when the, when open source stops becoming uh, good for a company in terms of its revenue, when it stops to being favorable in a sense, they immediately leave open source and go the proprietary way. Uh, a good example for that is Google and Android. Um, I don't know if most of our listeners are aware, but Android started out as uh, as a, a product created by a company named Android back then, and, and Google bought it and ter- made it open source, which is great, right? I mean, giving the world an open source software, open, open source operating system, which is fantastic. But that was in the beginning when Google was trying to, to fight Apple for control on the mobile phone market, and they needed a good operating system. When Google, when, the, when Android surpassed the iPhone, and now there are many more Android phones than iPhones, Google discovered that having Android open source is actually bad for business. Because now, you know, Samsung or, or uh, uh, Amazon can take Android and make their own phones. And of course, Google doesn't want that competition. In fact, that's what Amazon did with its Amazon Fire phone or tablets, and they, and of course Google doesn't want that. So what it did, I mean, and, and it can't go back from Android being open source. So what it does, what it did, was kind of strangle the the open source version of Android, and you know, not update any of the applications that come with with Android, like uh, you know the phone, the, sorry the calendar the Searcher app, all sorts of applications like these. And that meant that in, you know, after three, four years of nobody updating these programs, people had no choice but to use Google's version of Android, which is proprietary. So the open source, so what Stallman says is that open source was just good for Google and while it was good, Google used it. But once it was bad for, for Google, it had no problem, you know, getting rid of the open source and taking the software back to being basically proprietary and, um, and he's right in a sense. Yeah. I mean, that's, nobody will, will, um, go back to, to Android open source because that software is no longer relevant in our world, but, but he's right. They stopped updating the open source software. So he's a difficult man, but he's got good points.
0: <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, you bring up a very interesting aspect because at the very end of the day, the Android operating system boils down or, well, ha- as a foundation, has something called a Linux kernel, which is, as a matter of fact, GPL-licensed. So anybody touching the kernel or running on Android device because of the licensing restrictions, and, of course, GPL is a viral license for the two listeners in the audience not knowing what GPL is, GNU public license, I will um, put a link into the show notes where we, as Martin and myself, talk about open source licensing. If you cannot get to sleep at night, that's probably the episode <laughs> you want to listen to. <laughs> anyway, going, going back to the licensing, the thing is that the Android ecosystem Below the Dalvik or the or the Android runtime as in the stuff that executes the Java or Kotlin code bases that the proprietary uh, ecosystem makes uh, is made up of the kernel and the and the and the LibC equivalent called Android open source project AOSP is, is still GPL license so whatever whoever touches this has to publish the the changes hence this notion of Google to publish something called Fuchsia which essentially is a BSD license, I think, or some other permissive license anyway, replacement ultimately for Android. Because being that permissive license, they can do pretty much whatever they want with it. Uh, If they they basically simply attribute the ecosystem to the original creator, namely Google. So that's a very interesting Mm -hmm. move going forward Basically, Andrew Rubinstein, who originally invented the Android ecosystem, essentially just chose Linux because it was freely available. Given the fact that Linux is probably the operating system that is... How can I put this? Most uh, most widely used on this planet with regards to s- from small embedded devices and mobile phones probably are even be above this level right up to mainframes. It's probably fair to say that Linux is the most widely deployed operating system on the planet. Uh, mm-hmm. But this is just basically on the on the on the Android angle, and that's a very interesting fact, given the fact that we are looking at a history of about ten plus years now for Android uh, for, for Android phones. But you're spot on with regards to to um, uh, Richard Stallman because if it was for him, the operating system, uh, the operating system would be called GNU, and in tiny in tiny letters slash Linux. <laughs> so <laughs> you cannot talk about Linux. You have to talk
2: about GNU slash Linux. And what thing. is interesting as well is that I think that the addition of you know adding Linux to the GNU project was actually i think what started the chain of events that ended up with the creation of open source because um i mean we're talking here about the early 1990s uh the free software foundation was working on on uh, gnu the GNU operating operating system they had a kernel which was called Herd. Herd, yes. But but it wasn't good enough. It was too complicated and it wasn't still, stable enough.
0: Yeah, right. It still isn't.
2: It and, still isn't. And, no. <laughs> the long-term That's, project. It must be some kind of record. <laughs> some kind of record here. Uh, but they had great difficulties and they were aware that without an operating system, the Free Software Foundation, I mean, nobody will will actually take part in the movement. So, uh at a stroke of luck, Linus Torvalds uh, published uh, Linux in 1991, uh, the very first versions. And um, it took some time for uh, Richard Stallman to acknowledge it, but he, he, within a few years, he understood that Linux is the future. And he, as you said, he incorporated into uh, the GNU operating system, calling it GNU slash Linux. But the problem is that Linus, who was... I mean, Linus was a celebrity. I mean, everybody knew him and he was very much admired by the free software community. He didn't share these free software values that Richard Stallman had. And there's this a very interesting incident where there was a kind of a conference where Linus gave you know the keynote speech and he was using Microsoft's PowerPoint. <laughs> and as you as our listeners can can probably understand uh (laughs) waving um uh, seeing placing powerpoint in front of richard stallman is like (laughs) waving a red blanket in front of a raging bull uh he hates microsoft he hates powerpoint and there was a big argument i mean is linus uh right in using a proprietary software Where he should be using only free software. And Linus plainly said, I don't care. I mean, it's sure it's proprietary software, but it's a good presentation software. I want to use it. (laughs) So that kind of set you know the events in motion where the community, whole community, started drifting more to Linus's way of thought. That, I mean, we all love free software, we want it to be free. But if there is a good proprietary software, why not use it? And of course, Stallman very much didn't agree. So, after about six or seven years, it became really clear that as long as Richard Stallman has his hands on the wheel, free software will not be a successful movement because he is very, very extreme. He is an extremist in a view, he's an idealist. And really, he thinks about the worlds in terms of you know a class struggle, like Karl Marx, in a, in a sense. So, in 1998, people, few people, came up, you know, came together in the free software uh, uh, movement, and they said, "Okay, we need to change things; else, the business world will not take part in this movement. If if the businesses cannot live in an ideal world, they need." You know they need to be pragmatic, practical. They need software that they can use, and sometimes be proprietary if they need it to be. Uh, so they started the open source initiative, and of course this made Stallman very angry. But there was nothing to do. I mean, it's separate it was a separate movement, and it it uh, over time it uh, of course took off, and and now it is the dominant the dominant force in the free software world. Uh, and free software foundation is still relevant, but not—it was not as, as influential as as Richard probably would have loved to, which is sad. But I think that's the way the world works, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, there's, there's a couple of things I wanted to pick up on because I mean, you mentioned the Google example right, and Android, and um, this is why uh, Richard Stallman doesn't like uh, the open source software or. or that kind of uh, he likes the the free software um freedom of software uh rules that he's he's kind of adheres to but if you follow those rules or if, if you look at them closely it there is a lot in there about that Everybody is free to use, copy, sell software, right? So, so in a way, it's, it's a little bit of a <laughs> um, let, let's say a breaking his own rules by condemning a, a Google for doing what they did with Android. If, if would would you agree on that?
2: Or? I mean, I think that what really bothers him is that Google and other companies who use open source mm-hmm. when they need to, they don't really believe in the values of free software. They don't. They don't um, oh, promise yes. their customers or their uh, the people around them that they'll keep their software always free, always modifiable, always you can copy everything. They kind of op- they are kind of opportunists. If software mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. is good, then it's yep, good. Yep, if not, yep. we'll leave it. And, and Stallman doesn't think that's that's wrong. You should really believe in software being free. And if you're not a, a believer, then you're not. You're not good enough for Stallman. That that's kind of the extremist view.
0: And the hatred. I'm almost tempted to say between the BSDs of the world and the and the GNUs, because if exactly. you take a look at the, at the at the BSD and as software distribution, also a very famous or popular operating system, nowhere near or nowhere close to to to, to Linux, of course, but they. We, and we had them on the podcast about Martin, what, a year, maybe about one and a half years ago, a couple, a couple of, of the current maintainers. And they have a very different view of the world in terms of software has, software licensing has to be permissive. Just simply take the code and do whatever you want with it, uh, <clears throat> bar a few restrictions, for example, for example, attribution. Whereas Richard M. Stallman is under the kind of, I'm almost tempted to say, stunless, lindenless, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> view that every piece you touch you have to publish the changes, full stop. So you simply cannot take this source code and do and do whatever you want to want to want to do with it. No, you have to give it back to the public. Exactly, um, and that's the very difference between permissive licenses and more and and the more viral license approaches of the world, like like the like the GPL family of licenses.
2: Yeah, and I think I think that's the tragedy of 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 Richard Stallman because I really believe that. His ideas are good. I, I really think that if, if his way of thinking will be, you know, rule the world, then we will all be much better off. The problem is that him being so ideal idealist and so extremist kind of prevents that kind of idealistic, utopic, utopian, you know, uh, uh, world from existing. Yeah. But now that we have open source, which is a bit more pragmatic, open source is taking over the world. I mean, everybody uses open source. Com- big companies contribute to open source. Uh, it, it, it is an amazing revolution. And it started because of Richard Stallman. He, but, but tragically, he was the one thing that stopped, almost stopped that uh, uh, revolution from happening. <laughs> That's really uh,
0: tragic. <laughs> and, yeah, and a few and, and a few other people, of course. Richardson probably was the iconic uh, the iconic figure, but Eric Raymond and some other people also have a way I'm tempted to say, fair enough. Of course, but of he's course. probably the yeah the, the flag post Let's put it this way, but unfortunately, yeah, I'm I'm I, I concur with you, Rand. That I wouldn't say he's falling by the wayside, but eventually, some other. I'm almost meant to say folks will take over, but folks probably don't work. But rather ideals, or maybe ideas, as as, as in general, will prevail. Maybe RMS has run its course, not with regards to the cardis, because because the, core, because the core ideas and everything that it, that the FSFF still stands for, but maybe a more liberal slash permissive approach is now the 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 order of the day.
2: Probably, yeah.
1: I mean, we, we, the ideals that he applies to software you could apply to uh, other products as well, right? It, it's, I mean, if you are, um, I don't know, let's say, buying a, a, a cooking pan, you don't get the, um, the the design for the pan with it, right? You don't get the details of how to make it. It's you get the end product. So that's kind of the you could take that whole idealism uh, quite a lot lot of a big step further.
2: (laughs) Now that we have 3D printing, I think that we're heading towards exactly that kind of revolution. I mean, it's already there. I mean, we see people, you know, copying uh, Lego designs, for example, and people printing stuff that they want. I mean, if you have like, like a missing Lego piece and you print it and you can use it with your existing set. That's doing exactly uh, – that's doing to, to proprietary hardware what uh, open source and, and free software did to software back in the in the 80s and 90s. That's a big revolution. We're just starting to see it. But, I mean, I've got – here on my table, I've got an Arduino device, like the small mm-hmm. s- small microcomputers. And uh-huh. they're both amazing in terms of their capabilities, But what is more amazing is that because the design is open source, open source hardware, you've got tens and hundreds of different manufacturers designing compatible boards or shields, as they are called. And and like there's a whole hardware ecosystem, which I think if it it wasn't open source hardware, would never have been created because it's a very cheap device, and I don't think people maybe had like the the financial motivation to create such an, uh, you know, a, a big ecosystem for th- sensors that cost like a dollar. Uh, only because it's open source, I think it could have come about. And with three D printing becoming what it is, I think we're headed for an amazing revolution in the in the years to come interesting idea
1: <laughs> yeah. i mean it, it, to, to me it's uh, sort of listening to um what you were saying around uh, arduino's and um that kind of confirms the the the, the let's say uh, uh, the argument that uh open software or even open hardware in the case of arduino is is for a very select public right it's it's um the people that are interested in these kind of uh uh, how things work let's put it that way right so whether yeah. it's it's uh, uh an arduino or whether it's it's um a mobile phone or it's, it's an operating system but then the majority of people obviously are just there uh, uh the well they're 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 happy to use their phones right <laughs> they don't want to know what runs underneath they just want it to work and all the kind of stuff that that's the reality of of where um and i guess yes it uh but it drives you know, innovation whole...
2: it drives innovation like we've seen in i mean in software as well when you've got a million developers working mm-hmm. on different softwares um then you've got lots of great ideas people doing stuff like you know in various ways and the best way wins when it's proprietary you know you only've got one windows basically i mean mm-hmm. you've got other uh, operating systems but but nobody will create a new operating from system from scratch to try and, and, you know, have some competition with Microsoft because it's very difficult. Yeah. Unless you've got a million developers each contributing yeah. a small part, and here we have Linux, which which is a great competition for for Microsoft for for Windows. And I think the same will happen with hardware, with with proprietary hardware, be it Legos or Arduino. <laughs> we'll have lots of ideas lots of interesting you know perspectives on how to to do new things and when something catches on then you know business companies will take that and run with it and bring good quality products to the general public i think open source the greatness of open source is its 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 its, it's the innovation in open source not specifically you know one good better software or or less good software. It's the innovation, it's the ideas that millions and millions of developers are like injecting into these uh, programs.
1: And then for that to happen, and first of all, the the program has to be transparent and visible. And and, as you say, the more um, uh, you can dive into something, then people can add their, individual uh, knowledge or or, um, flavor to it to make it better uh, to make. uh, Mm -hmm. So in a way, it's part of the, uh, let's say, the the history of of the Internet, in a way, of of, um, the way we deal with knowledge
2: these days. Would you agree with that as well? Yeah. I mean, we've got projects like Wikipedia, for example. I mean, who who would have imagined that, that such a project could take place? Like, I mean, Thirty years ago, you had people thinking about the idea of Encyclopedia Galactica, you know, the kind of <laughs> yes, yes,
1: yes, An, an,
2: encycl- <laughs> uh, an encyclopedia <laughs> yeah. of everything—a
1: row of books in on your bookshelf. Yes,
2: <laughs> and, and by the way, I mean, uh, I think YouTube is a great example of the problem of the the problem with proprietary software. YouTube, I think, is one of the most important technological achievements of the modern age. I mean all of human knowledge is is in YouTube <laughs> in, in very... Really, I mean, there's nothing you want to learn on this planet that you can't learn by, by watching YouTube videos. Really, I mean, whatever I want. Yeah, if, yeah. If if is, cooking that's, to that's how true. to create a nuclear bomb. I'm, I haven't heard, but I'm... Okay, I, I haven't done that while ex- I've <laughs> <laughs> Probably some Indian guy, right? I mean, <laughs> so, somebody so, has to explain. So
0: Mossad, Mossad unit... 8200 <laughs> publishers on youtube as well i'm just wondering <laughs> in, uh, maybe
2: not i can't approve i mean i can't confirm or deny as they say <laughs> yeah.
0: Comment. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> yeah sorry Mossad, if you're listening uh the <laughs> the email address is feedback and <laughs> if you yes. send us the link we will put it in the, in the show notes no worries am looking forward to it. sorry right <laughs> go ahead
2: yeah and i think that uh, i mean if the nsa is listening I think it's good, we have a backup for the recording, yes. right? Yes, I mean, yes. We can ask for a backup if there's something wrong. <laughs> but the point that I was getting to is that, I mean, YouTube is amazing. It's, 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 it's one of the greatest, greatest achievements, yet it will only stay alive while Google is alive. Well, I mean, like every company, Google will one day meet its demise. Someday Google will be no more. Every company has an end. And when it does, we don't have these videos around that we can cut back up and, and maybe, you know, dis- distributed them across different places around the world. As if as long certainly as it needs a lot of storage.
1: That's for sure. <laughs> <exactly>. <laughs> but
2: that's, that's a technical problem that yes, can be yeah, solved yeah. if we need to, right? I mean, we did uh, things like Bitcoin, for example. So mm-hmm. it's possible, but as long as it's proprietary. If something happens to Google and Google crashes and, and dis- is disassembled, we are losing one of them. It will be like the loss of the library of Alexandria 2,000 years ago. It will be a real loss for, for humanity, I think. And I'm, you know, I'm personally I'm very worried that one day we'll lose this treasure because it's not open for the public. It will be very bad
1: interesting one i mean yes you can download videos through various means but that's uh, that's that's probably not a topic for this one but uh, probably some re- r- some rules and regulations or laws not to do these things um the, the only thing about i guess i, I agree with you completely right that youtube is a great platform for for finding any content or sharing knowledge um the only thing i think it's It's not its predominant use, and you don't have that as you say, for the full innovation that kind of um discussion forum to improve the content. It tends to be more that you know that one or two guys post a uh, piece of content <laughs> and then you get a bunch of uh, uh, fairly pointless comments underneath, <laughs> and that's it right rather than the discussion around you could do this better or different, or you know what I mean um.
2: yeah it reminds me by the way of if you want to hear a funny story when i was just starting as a podcaster and the podcast was was starting to take off and everything and um uh, they invited me one of the biggest websites in israel back then invited me to write an article about one thing or another i don't remember but it was a big important website and it was you know a big break for me as a creator so i wrote the article and it was posted on the main page the front page of the website and there were lots of people reading it and lots of comments and i think the first or second comment was somebody writing uh sorry i haven't read the article but maybe somebody has um uh, the recipe for onion jam how to make jam with an onion something completely unrelated (laughs) to the article completely unrelated and from that moment on, all the comments in the, the comment section were either people telling the first commentator that he's an idiot because this is not the place to ask for <laughs> a, 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 a recipe for an onion uh, jam, or people giving great recipes for onion jams. <laughs> so yeah, everybody yeah. forgot about me, <laughs> in, in, in essence. <laughs> I, rem- I was reminded because you said that you know, YouTube comments are yeah, really yeah, yeah. chaotic most of the time. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, th- <laughs> I think. Well,
1: I don't. Know, I mean, just uh, I think it, there is some kind of sport out there as well, right? Just get the first comment in on <laughs> whatever thing is published. That seems to be uh, some kind of activity that young people do. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: Brian, um, changing tack just yes. a little bit, we should. We can give the fact that we probably now have one of the most famous hmm? IT security podcasters on of of the planet on the podcast ourselves, (laughs) maybe we should spend two minutes on something called malicious malicious life. Uh, For those people who do not know what malicious life is, maybe you can, I mean, you're, you already touched about the format, but what I'm equally interested in is actually, how do you see open source software, I'm not just talking about Metasploit or some other stuff, helping the IT security industry in general, and what difference open source, especially from a security perspective, makes in that, in that realm?
2: Uh, yeah, that's a very difficult question. Um, there have been I'm, lots I'm, I'm not lots. known,
0: I'm not known to ask the easy questions. Martin, <laughs> is, this is Martin's Great. game. <laughs> I take it easy with the guests. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, there were many, many cases where um, uh, software, open source software did have vulnerabilities in it, uh, and um, and uh, you know there were uh, even you know big were uh, very very well known applications like Instagram and and others which suffered um, because of vulnerabilities discovered in in components that were open source. So you can't really say that making a, a software open source is a real solution for you know the all the problems of cybersecurity in a sense um but i think it's it's it is part of the solution because the the software world is is now becoming so connected um you know like uh, for, take for example uh, a big story that came out last year uh Solarwinds. I don't know if you all your listeners know the story, so the basic idea of the story was that there was one company called Solarwinds which creates uh, network management software and it has thousands upon thousands of clients with from you know the biggest companies on earth. And somehow I think it was Either Chinese or Russian hackers—I don't remember which which—somehow uh, managed to, to you know infiltrate the, the the software repositories, and they modified um, the software, uh, SolarWinds software, to include uh, backdoors and you know other such malware, which infected thousands of companies, which was a big, was a b- very big deal, including the US government and and other governments. So could that attack be discovered if SolarWinds SolarWinds software was open source? Probably, I mean, if you have lots and lots of people, you know, taking a look at the software, checking it, making sure that it's fine, there is a good chance that this uh, kind of attack could have been prevented and and because it was proprietary nobody had the opportunity to look at it and so the attack went on for almost a year, full year before it was discovered so we've got both sides of the coin here making software open source is not a one solution for every problem you need proprietary software sometimes for certain aspects because say for example google as As a company, its software is very secure. Uh, I I haven't ever heard about somebody hacking into Google. Um, If it was completely transparent, maybe, you know, evil hackers, black hat hackers could have taken a look into Google's uh, software, find problems and exploit them. But because the software is hidden, it is proprietary. Nobody knows what Google is doing behind the scenes. Nobody can also exploit its software if it's doing a good enough job, which it does probably. So open source, I think, is a big issue, but I don't see it becoming a central issue when it comes to cybersecurity. It's not a real solution. Cybersecurity is a very tough problem to solve. i personally think it won't it will never be solved as long as you have software we'll have malware as well probably like we have you know biological viruses will always be present when there are cells around to infect <laughs> so malware will always exist um, but it can be part of the solution if you implement it right within your organization probably say um uh it's 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 a good way to look at it
1: um we clearly uh like the argument that there are multiple many people looking at a piece of software to be able to find vulnerabilities as you say but then um uh i think as you explained on the flip side of the coin is that and and the other thing that we as if we had on the podcast various obviously open source projects and and a lot of them are the smaller ones are struggling right they don't have um Big you know, backing and, and uh, are doing it yeah. or, uh, with a couple of people in the evening. So, therefore, almost they cannot spend enough time and resources to right. to, to, to yeah. secure everything they need to. Right, but that's not to say that um, uh, the bigger ones uh, aren't uh, able to do this. But yeah, um, it, there is an argument, as, as you say, to to. Um, not uh, disclose the all the contents <laughs> it makes it easier, harder to find vulnerabilities. Yeah,
2: we don't really usually don't like security by obscurity. I mean obscuring stuff. It usually doesn't work. Hmm. But in 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 certain cases there are advantages to obscurity. You can't say that it never works. So and we're, this entire I think episode revolves around pragmatism in a sense as <laughs> yeah. so we will will probably have to be a bit pragmatic in in this uh, aspect as well
1: yeah, that's 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 very true. Uh, we, we yeah, I mean. Um... Yes, we can all be idealists, but <laughs> we all have to also um, kind of live in the world that we have, right? It's it's uh, as you as you mentioned, uh, uh, like Richard Fine, he doesn't use phones, and because of his ideals, and that is a, a choice that we could all make, but not many people do. I guess it's the
2: <laughs> I will uh, do it. <laughs> uh, okay, fair enough. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so you use PowerPoint as well, then?
2: Or? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, me without technology, <laughs> I wouldn't survive a day. <laughs> nice, nice. I'm hooked, <laughs> totally hooked.
1: I think that goes for all of us, but so uh... yeah, and no, I was uh... That's been more than great. Uh, it's it's uh, you know, as as um, as we mentioned at the start, we are, we are great fans of of your work, and um, uh, well, we are among the many people that are great fans of your work. I think <laughs> you've got many, many, many. It's
2: it's a real pleasure to be able to to create something that people from all over the world enjoy. I mean,
0: no, absolutely. Uh,
2: yeah, I've got. I mean, I'm talking to people from from Norway, from India from Australia of course from the us and it's amazing I mean I really feel how the internet kind of brings us together for me it's a daily thing which is is an it's amazing um feeling I think very nice. okay very nice.
0: that has been yeah. very insightful it's a long-standing tradition ran that as part of wrapping this up we do something called the poxies. The poxies are essentially the picks of the week. Is meaning something worth mentioning that you have come across, that you have come across over the last week or two, worth mentioning as part of the podcast. Martin normally does, uh, new cryptocurrencies. <laughs> I normally do movies, but needless to say, the guest to anything from yeah, books are also kind of favorites. <laughs> but just anything goes. So, yep. without further ado, Ren, what's your pox? Hmm.
2: Okay, so um, I had mentioned how I, how much I love YouTube. <laughs> um, so I'll um, I'll choose a channel called A Journey to the Microcosmos, and it's a channel about microscopy. I'm very much into microbiology. I'm a big fan of of microbiology. And this channel has great uh, videos uh, taken from microscopes or div- very you know, various kinds of micros- uh, microscope, uh, uh, taking looks, t- taking a look at very amazing creatures that you know most of us are never aware even that exist. Plus, there is great narration, you know, about what these creatures do what they're composed of their lives and stuff and pff, i mean if if if, if our, one of our listeners is like into the, the, the tiny micro world <laughs> that's <laughs> one channel you cannot miss the journey to the microcosmos
0: Link, links in so, the show notes for sure yeah, right? links will be in the show notes yes martin what's your po- thank you very much Loren. Martin, what's your parks
1: well, I, I, I mean, this is not because Rand's on the on the podcast. <laughs> discussing with Rand the, the the topics for today's podcast, he mentioned obviously the the episodes that he did with um, uh, with with Richard Stallman and Tim O'Reilly, and and I didn't know about Curious Minds before that. so then I started listening to Curious Minds, which uh, which was yeah uh, that was my new uh, <laughs> uh, after have, having almost finished um not quite a malicious life uh, there's that's the next one i'm um <laughs> listening to with great interest in...
0: i actually have uh, two huh. Yes, indeed. One of them, of course... You've got is... too
1: much free time these days, haven't you?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I wish that was the case. No, one of them is obviously Malicious, malicious Minds, and yes, links will be in the show notes. <laughs> malicious rant, in... I like that one. <laughs> the sorry, new podcast malicious... is being yes, born. Sorry, mali- malicious Life, sorry, my mistake. Is in one of them. Yes, I've been listening to the show for at least four years, if not longer. And never mind... The the hate mail we're gonna get full marks for that work because it's one of the most amazing IT security podcasts. Maybe, or maybe Darkened Diaries come close. But I, as I said, Militia for me is 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 one of the most listen is one of the must listen to podcasts. Oh, Second you, box please. that I ha- you, you're welcome. And this is my opinion. I'm not trying to brown nose here anything, but this is just me talking. Uh, as a matter of fact, Malicious Life was probably the origin, one of the original podcasts that introduced me to IT security way back. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Okay, the second pox is. A recipe how to make prune plum jam that I've got again. <laughs> <recently been. laughs> this is serious guys. This is this is a recipe. Does it that involve I've any heard... onions or <laughs> No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> it's not funny, no. No, it's one of the great it's one of the re- one of a re- great recipes of my great-grandmother that I unearthed about a month ago when we kind of uh went through her scribblings in a handwritten recipe book. Needless to say, my great-grandfather is is long gone, but the recipe still lives on. Details may be in the show notes. Essentially, it boils down to doing it without a method that is prone to burning the plums. The way it boils, the way you do it, essentially, this you soak the plums in a mixture of sugar and vinegar for a night and then you let it simmer for about six to eight hours on low heat and then you stir it for a bit and then you have a plum marmalade that is second to none the link is easy I'm, to make yeah it, it just takes time exactly like every good food ran it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast
2: thank you very much it's been a great pleasure
0: looking forward to having you back in a few years' time when the, the next podcast that you'll launch in about two months' time, if, the, if our flux compensator is anything to go by. Oh, sorry, flux capacitor, as it's called. Um, it's malicious minds, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> malicious minds, exactly. Uh, we'll have conquered the world once again. This is the Linux in-laws. You come for the knowledge. But stay for the madness. Thank, Thank you, you for listening. listening. This podcast is licensed under the latest version of the Creative Commons license, type attribution share alike. Credits for the intro music go to Blue Sea Roosters for their song Salute Margot, to Twin Flames for their piece called The Flow, used for the segment intros, and finally to Celestial Ground for their song Sweet Justice, used by the Dark Side. You find these and other ditties licensed under CC at Jamendo a website dedicated to liberate the music industry from choking copyright legislation and other crap concepts.
2: Mr Visser.
1: Uh, Richard, how are you doing?
0: <laughs> Not so bad, yourself. <laughs>
1: uh, how, how, are we back or are we, are we left the FSF again? Or what we doing uh, I, can't,
0: I, I can't really comment on that without my yeah. lawyer being present.
1: <laughs> oh, uh, lawyer, lawyer, surely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> sure, surely Richard doesn't employ lawyers. That doesn't. <laughs> what about yourself? Uh, what's your time? Commitment?
0: Uh, I think you scared him away.
1: I did, yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Martin, I told you numerous times not to do this.
1: <laughs> uh, come back, come back. <laughs> we need you, yes.